You're listening to The OutCue, a 21 News journalist perspective on a top news story. Good afternoon and welcome to The OutCue. This is a new edition of the 21 News podcast. And it's a little bit of a different look behind the scenes of how news is gathered. So a quick introduction. My name is Jay Breen Mitchell. I'm the assistant news director here. And uh, the name is the OutCue, which is the term used for the end of a news package. It's, it's kind of it tells you it's the end of the story. But the truth is, when we finish telling a story on the air, that is rarely the entire story. That is the most important things for right then. But there's a lot that goes into the news gathering process that we want to give you a little bit of an inside look at because we live in an era where a lot of people fancy themselves citizen journalists and they put news out that uh, is maybe of dubious quality in the online, you know, in the social media sphere or on YouTube. And it's important that people understand that real journalism takes real work. And so we want to give you a little behind the scenes look. So every week we're going to be picking a story that took a lot of extra work than beyond what you saw on the air and to give you a little insight into how that came about. So the story we're going to talk about this week is the cuts and the fiscal situation in Vienna Township. And uh, with me today to discuss the story are the reporters who've had their hands in it, Leslie Huff and Chris Serenelli. So a little bit of a, of a background on how this came about. So about a week ago, we started getting calls to our newsroom of, from anonymous township employees whose pay was delayed. They were supposed to have been paid. They were being told they'd be paid later that day. And ultimately, they were paid later that day. But of course, you check things out when somebody calls you in the newsroom and tells you something that might be news. And we were first told that the delays were a simple bank error and there would be, it would be rectified by the end of the day. But we noticed something. There was a difference in what we were told from the township and what we were told from the bank. See, the township said that the bank had a delay on their end, and the bank said, well, no, there was a delay on the township's end, but it's all gonna be fixed. Okay, no story here, right? Well, we've come to find out that that's not even close to true. And um, from there, we start working on it. So we do an, an initial story about the delays in pay. We think it's fixed. And then these anonymous sources keep calling and they keep sending us documentation highlighting various irregularities in their pay. Bonuses they didn't receive and sketchy numbers and accounting for their retirement accounts. And we start going through these documents very closely. While we're in the process of doing that, we get another call from these anonymous sources who say that the hours in the fire department are going to be cut to a skeleton crew and there will be days that they won't be in operation at all. Well, this takes on an entirely different tone now. Now, this is where we begin in earnest working on the story and this is where Leslie comes in. So Leslie, you come in that day and we tell you, look, we, we know we have these cuts. We've spoken to the fire chief now on the phone who's told us he doesn't know why. He was just told by trustees that they're going to have to scale back. So at this point, we know we have a story. We don't know what led to it, but we know we've got enough that it has to do with public safety. And it's time to start really looking into what the situation is. So I guess let's start there. What 
where did you pick up the story once I told you, Leslie, look, I know this is the deal. I know there's cuts in the fire department. We got to find out how much we can find out about it. Mm -hmm. So starting off, I called the fire chief, Rich Brannon, and he, of course, declined to go on camera. But you can hear in his voice just how remorseful and like it was filled with sorrow, just how sad yeah, he not, was about. Not remorseful. Not remorseful because he didn't yeah, do anything. Be yes. Yeah. <laughs> but he was just very sad about what's happening. And he kept telling me, you know, I didn't want this to happen. This is terrible. Things like that. So I, you know, say, well, what happened? And then he goes into the story and says, the day before, we were instructed by Trustee Robert Root, who said they are only allowed to have two emergency personnel on the at the station during the 12-hour shifts. And so he also just kind of laid out what the instructions were, which is no, full, no overtime for the full-time employees. And that, um, well, I guess that's it. Yeah, no, full no overtime for full-time employees and then only two emergency responders on staff. Um, and then he, of course, just kept saying he's concerned about the delayed response times that this could have on the entire community just because there aren't enough responders, you know, throughout the day. And so um, he was just saying that they would also have to rely on neighboring fire departments like Brookfield and Howland. And so we talked for about 30 minutes or so. And so after that, I just call the trustee, Robert Root, to see if he can say anything about it. I text him, I call him, nothing basically silence. So after that, I call Phil Pegg, who is another trustee. And as soon as I call him, he texted me and said, please call me. So then I text him. I used it as an opportunity to text all of the questions that I have. Yeah. And so after that, I heard nothing. Once again, like radio silence, no response at all. So I call him throughout the day. But still, just nothing. And I know that you emailed him as well, and he was communicating with you. Right, but... right. Well, that's it's interesting you say that. And there's a couple of things you said that were interesting that I that I want to expand upon a little because you mentioned the tone of the fire chief's voice. Yeah. And so these are these subtle little things that we pick up on as we talk to people. Um, you can kind of get a sense when someone is hiding or obfuscating mm -hmm. versus, you know, putting on a diplomatic front. Yeah. And then there are times where you get something genuine out of them yes. because they really are just surprised. Very authentic. And he yeah. was still in that frame of mind then mm -hmm. where he was as surprised to hear about this as we were. It had been He'd been really kind of blindsided. And so you built off of that to, to talk to him for a while. Yeah. But the trustees, they never did talk to you that day, right? The only no. one who did. So at that point, at this point now as a, as, as a news manager... I've got a lot of angles that I'm considering here because there's the there's the why did this happen? Mm -hmm. There's the the monetary, you know, the, the use of taxpayer money and mm -hmm. why do they suddenly not have this kind of money? And there's a public safety element here. I mean, how are they going to guarantee that they can keep people safe? So there's questions. You mentioned mutual aid. You know, we were able to get some of that from the fire chief. Mm -hmm. But as for how did this happen, the trustees gave this order. Mm -hmm. And remember, they're answerable to the people. So if they're going to give an order that the chief of the fire department says is going to impact public safety, well, this is not one where they cannot respond and it kind of skate, right? They, they're responsible to the people who elected them. Mm -hmm. So now I'm in the frame of mind of here, here's a little insight behind the, the thought process. There are times where you're calling somebody and it's not crucial to the story, 
So you want to have a conversation with them. But if they don't make it in, it's not going to make or break the story. This is not one of those times. These trustees have to be in this story. And if they don't respond, then that has to be in the story. Yes. But there's only one fair way to do that. And this is what you touched on. You said, you know, that you you sent them all of your questions. That's not something you will always do as a journalist. In fact, it's a lot of times you won't do that because you want to have a conversation. You want to ask follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. But at this point, we get the sense that they are not responding. They're radio silent. Mm -hmm. And for it to be fair for us to say that we tried to reach out to them, we've got to do more than just call them. We've got to call them and they have to know exactly what we're calling about because otherwise it would be unfair to do this story and say they wouldn't respond to it. Mm -hmm. So I then finally got in touch with one of the trustees, Phil Pegg, via email. And he said, I'm so, and I told him what we were working on. And he said, I'm sorry, I cannot talk about this. And I told him that that was unfortunate because this was a matter of public safety and the trustees are directly answerable to their constituents. And he went silent. He did not respond to that. Now we're in a fair position to point this out. They have had every opportunity and they didn't. Yeah. So. And can I mention something? Yes, absolutely. After Phil Pegg, I, of course, reached out to uh, Desenzo. Or trustee descent. Rich descent. Rich, yeah. Yes. And so I try to find his number. I contact his business and I leave a message with the person working, the front desk person. Still nothing back. So then I try, of course, the trustee's office and the phone line is just busy every time I call. I'm not even sure how many times I called, maybe five or six, but just almost like it's off the hook. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like, okay, don't know what to do next or whatever. But I know that that's when you said, okay, let's kind of send an alarm, write a web story. Yeah, that's true. I'm glad you said that because this was a strategic thing, too, as I said, listen, the last thing that we can do here is we have enough. We've had enough to report this since kind of since the day started. I mean, the chief had confirmed the cuts. Mm -hmm. So what I said at that point was they've had every opportunity by phone. But let's apply just a little bit more pressure. We've had enough to report it. It's important for the public to know, and the trustees are not answering our calls. So we can write a story and put it out there now, and we should not wait. This is a you know this is important. There's urgency behind this, so let's do that, mm-hmm. and then let's send that story to them and let them know that right now this is what we're reporting. We'd love to hear what they have to say about it. Right. And again, I still didn't stop trying to reach out to them. I also right. called Robert Root in his attorney's office and still got nothing back. Didn't hear from him the rest of the day, even though I left a message with the secretary. But um, yeah, nothing. So in the meantime, the trustees this same day, and I don't, I mean, not to get ahead of myself, mm-hmm. but just to move forward, mm-hmm. the, the trustees send out a notice that they're planning a special meeting for last night, Thursday night, where they will confer with their attorney about the dismissal of public employees and they anticipate making a statement. Now, we don't know what this is about, but if it's not about this, then things are worse than we realize, Mm -hmm. right? And Chris, that's where I'm going to bring you in because you go to the meeting knowing everything we just talked about. That's the best I could arm you with walking in. But things were worse than we thought, right? <laughs> well, that was my, kind of my reaction. You know, we we got handed a, a, an official release after they came out of executive session. First thing they did was at 6.02 or 01 or whatever, is they said, we're going into executive session, which Justin alluded to with their attorneys to confer as to you know what their next steps were going to be. So, you know... Public officials go into executive session. There's no telling how long that's going to be. They were in there almost two hours. 
Um, at one point, you know, standing fairly close to the door, I could hear some shouting. Um, you know, obviously this is a tough subject and there was a lot of um, consternation about how to arrive at the right solution, the right answer here. So I guess that was to be expected, but uh, they came out of executive session. They handed us an official release. You said a statement that was going to be made uh, and an action that was going to be taken. And each line going down this release, my eyes just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And just as you said, you know, I'm like, this is really a bad situation. Because Uh, we find out that they're laying off police and fire. Two police officers, three firefighters. At one point, uh, one of the trustees, I believe it was Phil Pegg, said uh, to uh, one of the people in the crowd who said, what about that new ambulance that's sitting out there? He said, it's going back. Wow. So... Uh, and a, an anonymous source told us that there's only going to be one ambulance daily running throughout the... And to that end, you talked about them not being in service. Today, they said this would be one of those days that it would be shut down. Yeah, so, as we speak. So they don't have no, one at all? Correct. Oh there is no... God. The fire station is not operating today. Right. Yikes. Which is likely yeah. why when you tried to call the chief, the fire chief today, mm-hmm. it was hard to reach him. Right. And the police chief was not on station because his hours are cut back and he's giving back some of his salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indefinitely is the word that they used last night. The trustees, the police chief and the fire chief have all foregone their salaries for, you know, till further notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, again, there's no telling... Um, you know, how long this is going to go on and, you know, what it's going to take to, to, to write the ship here. And to that end, you know, again, last night, you know, I shouted out a couple of questions. You know, there was a lot of angry and frustrated people, understandably so. But one of the questions I said uh, or was trying to, to, to get answered is how long is this process going to take? You know, you're talking about the state auditor's office is coming in next week. How long is that process going to take? And very simply, Phil Pegg said, call them. Yeah. Because there's uh, you know a lot that even the trustees at this stage of the game do not know. And so now today, what we're doing to try and move this forward further is essentially taking him up on exactly that. We're going to look at what the options are in the law. And look, there's a lot of unknown things here. We know that Fiscal Officer Linda McCullough was walked out of the meeting last night with a police escort that they are that the trustees are seeking to have her removed. Why does she have an escort? Well, I believe that was upon her request. Oh, she, did ask, she did ask for that. Because what was, was the mood like in that room? There were a lot of angry people there. A lot of angry people is right. Um, and, you know, they were blaming her. They were blaming the trustees. They were blaming, you know, it, it was, there was a lot of that going on. And at one point, as Linda was being walked out, another journalist in the room who I was standing next to, we looked at each other and we were like, did she just get fired or removed? Can they do that? Can the trustees... I don't believe the trustees can do that. Right. I think that has to be either by their request and it's some something that's above their... Sent to the state auditors. Yes. And so that's the process that we're taking a look at today yeah. is what is this process and how long... Because as and you mentioned last night, this is the beginning of a long, hard chapter for them. And so chapter one in that in that saga is that the process is laid out in state law. And, and, and I want to remind everybody, we don't know, we, we know that there is blame being placed at the fiscal officer's feet, and obviously she's the one responsible for the finances, but it is not clear exactly what the allegation is, whether it be mistakes, malfeasance, is there wrongdoing, that is all still very unclear. Mm-hmm. What we know is that there's more than a million dollars unaccounted for, and they've got to solve that, and until they can solve that, they're essentially operating the township on cash advances. But with removing her, doesn't it seem like she obviously 
was negligent no. with the funds. It being... means that the buck stops with her. But got there's it. things we don't know. Mm -hmm. Now, there was something striking that you uh, that you got today, and I'll get to in a second here. But so we, we know now that the process here is laid out in the law a little bit. Um, it, there, it's imprecise, as these things often are. But the auditor's office has a window of time. I believe it's, is it 30 or 40? 30 days. 30 days to investigate and determine if they see probable cause, essentially, to move mm -hmm. forward with something and what that probable cause is. Right. And they can get extensions on that, but 30 days is your initial window. And then that goes to the attorney general's office, assuming they find something. And I can't imagine they're not going to find something with this much missing money, but I guess they could find it in a mattress somewhere. <laughs> um, and then the attorney general's office has a 10-day window, yes. again, can be extended upon request mm -hmm. to determine what they want to do. And then if they're going to move forward with removal of the fiscal officer, that now has to go to a court. Right. And and to make it more complicated, the trustees would be legally bound to pay the legal fees for the fiscal officer. And then if they win, they can recoup that. Mm -hmm. But there's another element here, which is that these public officials, the fiscal officer is bonded. So this is essentially a public insurance policy in case there is any kind of a catastrophe. But for a township the size of Vienna, her bond is, depending upon where their budget is, if it's over $3.5 million, it's a $195,000 bond. And if it's under, I believe it's $160,000, yes. you say? And at their last audit, their budget was $3.4-something million. So it's unclear which bond she'd have to carry. But either way, that's the amount that they can recoup, which is nowhere near the amount that's unaccounted for. And, and the striking thing that I was going to get at that you found out today and that really ex explains exactly how much mystery there is here is you reached out to a trustee to ask if the insurance policy might cover a situation like this. And he said he doesn't know because all of the paperwork is with Linda McCullough, the fiscal officer. Yes. So there's a lot of mystery here and we're going to have to keep digging into this for quite some time. Why does she have all the paperwork and why... And is that proper or not? Yeah, right. Right. And I don't know. The he doesn't answer. have any copies of it. Right yeah. yeah. So. Um, and, and so back to the original premise of this podcast and why we want to do this is where did we start here is we started with essentially two stories that could have been done by, you know, by anybody who wasn't extra inquisitive and didn't really think about the needs of the township. You could report that there was a delay in pay. You could report that the hours at the fire department were getting cut. And if somebody doesn't know how to think like a journalist, you could report that and you could report it with a lot of implication that might be unfair. You could, for instance, lay the blame at the feet of somebody who it later turns out it's not the fault of. I mean, let's say, let's say it was just cuts in the hours at the fire department. Well, if I don't know what I'm doing and I don't ask the right questions, I could tell that story and I could leave everybody wondering what that fire chief is doing. Mm -hmm. Well, here, the fire chief has no idea why these hours are being cut, you know? Yep. So you've got to be able to think about what's fair, who is responsible, what the questions are that matter to the people, and are there other things we're not thinking about that we need to that we need to know. So this is a public safety story. This is a fiscal responsibility story. This is potentially a legal story. Um, and so I'd like you guys to just both reflect on on that because you've just heard this is three days worth of work for something that the untrained eye could have written up. I mean, you know, my 
mother could have called someone up and said, you hear they're cutting hours at the fire department. Mm -hmm. But this was a lot more than that, and a lot more work went into it. And I guess I just want to, I want you guys to reflect on why that's important to you and how it's different from that phone call from my mother. I think, like you said, it's a public safety issue. So I, that's why it's important. People need to know what's going on with their representatives and with their community. So I think it's important for us to make sure that we always have the factual information on, like, like you said, who's responsible, who's not responsible for it, because, of course, blame can always shift for example, to the fire chief in the case like that, you know? So I think it's important for us to make sure it's very clear who are the key players well, and what they're doing. But also what the questions are, right? Mm -hmm. What what other questions we need? I mean, it's a thoughtful approach, right? Yeah. It's not just knee-jerk. Yes. It is, and that's one of the reasons I tell people all the time when they ask me about this kind of work that we do is there's a reason that you need a journalism degree to do this job because you have to have a functional knowledge of information gathering, slander and libel law, um, you know, all of these things that you have to consider, uh, you know, when, when, you're, when you're doing your report. Obviously, you don't think about all these things when you're on deadline and you're just trying to get something either, you know, on the website or on the air. Um, but, you know, like Justin said, you know, real journalism is real work. And until you've, you know, either lived with a journalist or know a journalist personally or actually done the work yourself, you know, it's really hard, especially since you see so little of it as uh, as the end product and understanding of what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I like that you mentioned that it does become instinctive because this work is done quickly. Yes. Um, painstakingly, but quickly, uh, particularly on deadline, that's notwithstanding, you know, a longer term project. Um, so, even as we sit here and talk today, I mentioned anonymous people called and tipped us off. And I instinctively did not give you any identifying information about who they are. I didn't say anything accusatory that they may have said about anybody. I mean, obviously, that's how a tip generally comes in is this is going on and so-and-so's to blame. Well, it's not my job to say so-and-so says so-and-so's to blame. My it's The old adage is like... Um, uh, it's a lazy journalist. Here's one person say it's raining outside. Somebody else says it's say 85 and sunny and you report both sides. But it's the job of a journalist to look outside and find the truth. Which one is true. Right. And, um, and there's a lot more work that it's involved in that. And it is instinctive. Um, today, when I said what I just laid out, what that whole process is that they're going to have to go through. Well, I don't know that the average person would have known where to begin to look. They might have found it. I mean, a reasonably intelligent person can find this stuff. This is not, you know, hidden. But I knew exactly where to look in Ohio law. And I knew how to suggest. I mean, what did I suggest, Leslie? So you ended up talking to a county auditor who's a former township trustee yes. who was in the know for the process. And she's going to be in the story. Um, but I also mentioned that there are township associations. Yeah. And I don't know why anybody would walk around with that knowledge in their head unless right. they were involved in a township association. Mm -hmm. But you instinctively rattle that off. Yep. Knowing that that functional knowledge helps you a long way, knowing what to say, knowing what not to say, and knowing what to ask. Mm -hmm. This stuff is different mm -hmm. than, you know, somebody who's well-meaning but maybe not properly trained, and they can give you a false impression or spread false information if you don't go through these steps rigorously. And knowing the right questions to ask doesn't always mean the questions that you come prepared with. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I never write down questions. I've been doing this for 16 years. I don't think I've ever written down a question in my entire career. 
because not only am I armed with the information preliminarily that I'll need going into it, as I'm listening, listening to the person talk, and as I'm going through the information gathering process, I'm thinking on the fly about, okay, follow-up questions or something unrelated that we didn't think of before that has something to do with this. And, you know, that, that comes with time. That's, that goes, crosses the line between science and art. Yep. Yes. Yes. Well, like I, like we said earlier, you went to that meeting last night knowing they were probably going to talk about the fiscal situation in the fire department. We had no idea it was going to go as far as it would. I certainly did. So there was no amount of pre-written questions you could have had. And if you don't have that proper training and you're not active listening, like Leslie, you covered a murder trial last week and you don't know what's going to come out in a murder trial. You've got to follow a line of thought. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, oh, I mentioned you actually, you guys both covered this trial, but I mentioned yeah. Leslie because this was the first time you'd cover a, a trial that in depth. Yes. And that was something you told me that you, you learned how important active listening yes. is in those moments where there's only so much preparation you can bring. You know, I heard last night, unrelated, but I heard from a, a former colleague at WFMJ, um, Danielle Cotterman texted me about something. And I'll never forget when I would, um, prep her for political interviews when she was just starting out. And I would say, okay, here are the questions we're going to start out with. And when you ask this, he's going to say this. And then you'll say this as your counter. And then he's going to say this. And then the counter to that is this. And eventually you'll get an answer. And she'd go, you can't possibly. How would you know what they're going to say? You're no one's that <laughs> predictable. And I said, watch. Yeah. And she came out of the interview. <laughs> jaw down going, it was like word for word. How did you do that? (laughs) Did that because I'm trained to do this and I know that their job is sometimes to obfuscate and our job is to get to the truth. So... You know, I always think first, that's kind of amazing. Sorry. The first question, yeah, well, it, it is, but it's just a learned skill. You yeah. know, that first question is basically a canary in the coal mine mm-hmm. to it, it sort of re reaffirm that you know what the the official line is going to be mm-hmm. and the official line particularly from politicians is obvi- is uh, often not an answer right. it's yeah skirting it, around the answer it's diplomatic speak mm-hmm. and that's for everybody who's run for any office at every level anywhere right. and of that's any stripe for, and that's for good ones and that's for bad ones mm-hmm. i mean it's just image control is part of a politician's job yeah, right. truth is part of our job and they do sometimes dovetail but sometimes they are at loggerheads mm-hmm. and that's where the skill comes in and that's another thing and i know we're off topic a little bit but we're not off topic for the mission of this is that when they are at loggerheads somebody who doesn't know how to do this is much more likely to parrot the line of the politician they like rather than challenge it to get at the truth. Mm -hmm. The truth is, if somebody is giving you a line and it's not getting at the truth, Mm -hmm. maybe you should rethink whether or not you like them. Right. I mean, we're we're afraid to do that in this society. We think that changing our minds on something is somehow a sign of weakness. We don't have that luxury. I have been disappointed by heroes Mm -hmm. and I have been impressed by people I thought of as villains and it happens all the time. This is messy. But if we're in the pursuit of truth, then that's what matters. That's the North Star. That that is the North Star is right. And, you know, people talk about, you know, uh, where does journalists come down on this story and how do they, quote unquote, spin it? I I hate that word. That's not a thing. (laughs) A journalist's only bias is to the truth. And 
A good one. A good journalist. Well, yeah, of course. Truth. I mean, speaking, <laughs> speaking you know, um, one of the things going back to last night and, and the situation in Vienna that struck me was one, there was one particular township employee who came to me after the meeting was over and said, you know, we talked about the uh, missing information or the missing uh, contributions to retirements. This person told me that they had not seen a single retirement deduction in the 16 years they had worked for the township. Now, I was shocked at the scope of this situation reading that release. How do you lose a million dollars plus in a year? 16 years, this might go back way, you know. Yeah, we're still at the very beginning of this story, and this may go for a long time. I mean, we've certainly seen, we've seen the state have to take entities over before Niles went through that. I don't know if that's where Vienna is headed, but I don't know how they unravel this, and we're going to have to follow that for a long, long time. And it's going to take the real work of journalism, which, again, is the point of what we do, and it's the point of what we're sitting here today to discuss. Do either of you have anything else you'd like to add to today's discussion? I would just encourage, you know, if if anyone is interested in journalism or, or considers themselves a consumer of journalism... Look at us as people, look at us as your neighbors and understand that this work that we're doing uh, is, is a noble purpose. It is enshrined into the First Amendment of the Constitution for a reason. And that reason is to get to the truth, to be a watchdog. I know that I'm not just, you know, parroting our branding here. It's, it's, it's honestly yeah, one of the core tenets. And to just, when you see a piece that you're not happy with or that you don't like, Look at it through that lens. Look through it through the same objective lens that we do. And to be clear, we're not perfect. Let us know if there's something that you don't like, and we will hear you out. I mean, there have been times where I've had to say, you know what? I mean, I had a call this just this week from somebody who had a, a concern over one flash of video that we had not seen in the light that they saw it in. Yep. But I went, back, talking about. I went back and reviewed it. And you know what? They were right. They Absolutely were right. They were right. And, you know, I've been doing this. You said 16 years for you. I've been in this 15 years. You know, we learn something new all the time. Yeah. And we are here to learn because it's all about it's all about truth and it's all about working for you. Yes. That viewer has a great eye. Because I know. I don't think anyone else noticed it. I certainly People, didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but when I when I read the the memo and, and looked at yeah, it, absolutely it did. Yeah. See it on the front end. Nope. Yep. Yep. Leslie, anything else? Uh, no, you guys said it all. I'm glad to be kind of have these colleagues who have been in the game for so long and to kind of teach me the steps and how to be a better journalist. We're we're a lucky newsroom. We've got a, a mix of of veteran talent and mm-hmm. up and coming talent that mm-hmm. is um, enviable. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Well, that's this week's episode of the Out and we hope to have many, many more. And I thank you for joining us. Thank you.